Good afternoon. I'm going to assume it's afternoon. And happy Sabbath. I do know it's a Sabbath day today. And happy almost Mother's Day. Um, unfortunately, my wife and mother of our two children were not able to make it today. They both came down with a sickness, unfortunately. So they could not be here, but they are watching on the screen. So praise the Lord for technology as we move forward. I want to go ahead and start off by introducing today's sermon, the, the title, and I don't know if it's going to go up today. Uh, technology is, again, one of those things that sometimes works and praise the Lord, and when it doesn't, you got to hope that you better be prepared for that. And uh, so keep me in prayer. I'll be as prepared as I possibly can be by God's grace. Amen. We're going to be talking a little bit uh, the title about the title this morning, the numbers game, and society is fascinated with numbers, and you see lists, for example, with the world's richest men, and we're always fascinated who the richest individual is in the world. Uh, we're also very fascinated with athletes. Michael Jordan averaged over 30 points a game in his lifetime, considered one of the all-time greats, and he has the numbers to back that up. So we numbers are very important, and I don't know if you're a LeBron fan or whatever, but just know that I'm anybody, I, Michael Jordan, LeBron, it's what have you, I don't want to offend anybody when it comes to the greatest of all time. You also have school rankings, Right, Every student is always proud if their school makes the top 25 academically uh, in the nation. Or, and I know MSU is a big basketball school and a big football school, and so when the season rolls around, you want to make sure that your team has squeezed into that top 25 ranking. So with that said, I just want to conclude or uh, propose to you this morning or this afternoon that numbers are important. And the question is, should we as Christians, as we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, be concerned so much about the numbers that often bring the world to their knees or uh, make them to be in awe of the accomplishments of what men and women can do? With that said, the church is also very involved when it comes to numbers. And as a matter of fact, there's a book of the Bible called Numbers, right? We're also interested, every pastor in the Michigan Conference is interested in how many baptisms they get within a year. The conference is interested in how many baptisms as a whole in the aggregate that we've had in every given year, and also the membership. So we're going to talk a little bit about numbers and what Satan sometimes does to get us to fall because of numbers. With that said, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time and this opportunity to come to you to worship and to hear from your word. 
Lord, there, we may have some technical challenges and the, the screens or the slides that I prepared may not come up, but I just pray that that will not be a stumbling block at all, that you would uh, guide us and bless us and lead us this day as we hear from your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. I'm going to start with a quote from Jesus, from Jesus Christ himself. And it says here, uh, this is a slide, uh, the next slide. And if I can get it up there, it's actually showing my notes up there and the slide here. Um, if we could go ahead and try and just have the slide presented, that would be great. But this quote here says in John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you. Jesus equates eternal life with knowing who God is. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The next slide says this. The whole spiritual life is molded by our conception of him. Now get this, the whole spiritual life, how you live your everyday spirituality, how you live your Christian life on a day-to-day -day basis, the whole spiritual life is molded by our conception of him, and if we cherish erroneous views of his character, our souls will sustain injury. What this quote is essentially stating is that if you have it wrong about God, your ideas of God, if you have it wrong, then your soul can sustain potential injury. And let me give you an example of that. So what you know of God determines how you're going to react to God. So, for, so let's take this example. Take a dog that has been abused years and years by a, a, a negligent owner. And let's just say that that dog gets rescued and turned over to a new owner, right? When that new owner comes to that dog with outstretched arms of love, that dog, how do you think it will respond to that new owner? At least initially. It will wince, it will cower, it may even react aggressively because what it knows of humanity is been wrought with pain and abuse and hurt. And so many times when we're getting our ideas of God from the world, from the media, then it's no wonder that many atheists and people in the world react very negatively towards God. So your idea and notions of God will determine initially how you react towards God, whether you accept him or reject him. And even for committed Christians who have a long-standing relationship with him, if you have misguided or erroneous views of God, it may still hinder your forward progress in your relationship with him. Let me give you an example of that. For example, if you have an, uh, an idea about God where he is vindictive, that he's a micromanager, that he's out to get you, 
and that's what his purpose is, then think about, about and imagine how that can shape your Christian experience on, on a day-to-day level. Will you have the peace and the joy that should come with having a relationship with God? You may not have that simply because your conception of who God is is wrong, and in that way, you can sustain an injury. One way to know God, so if you think of all the ways that you and I uh, undertake, all the things that we do to get to know God better, of course, there's reading the Bible. By the way, this is the best and primary means of getting to know who Jesus is and our Lord. Amen? We, we get it from the Bible, not from society, the world, even the words that come from this pulpit today from your pastor has to be checked by the word of God. Amen? If you think of the Bereans in the book of Acts, even the apostle Paul was checked by the word of God. So one of the ways that we obtain a knowledge of God is through the word of God, through experience as we engage with God. I can tell you right now that Jacob's experience as he wrestled with Jesus and he wrestled with him, that experience changed his life forever. So experience also informs our understanding of God. I want to introduce another way uh, that we get to know God or better acquainted with God that's often not spoken about. If you go to the word of God in scripture, uh, go to the next slide where it says, what does it mean that the pure in heart will see God? You've read that uh, Bible passage in the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, we've often interpreted that passage to mean that if we have a pure heart, then when Jesus returns in the clouds of glory, we'll see him and we will be taken up to heaven at the second resurrection. And that's true. That's a correct interpretation. But there's another way to see and view this passage that opens our eyes to how we might get better acquainted with God. And I want to go to... Uh, The next slide, found in Mount of Blessings, page 25 and 27. And listen very carefully to what uh, the author has to say. Says, only like can appreciate like. Unless you accept in your own life the principle of self-sacrificing love, which is the principle of God's character, you cannot know God. That's pretty powerful. What she's essentially stating, the author here, is that it takes one to be one to know the one in our Lord and Savior. You know, as much, there are many things that we can identify with. For example, on Mother's Day, we can understand or fathers can appreciate and understand Mother's Day to an extent, right? But not fully because we're not mothers. On Veterans Day, I try to understand what uh, our veterans went through on the bloody shores and ravines of, in World War II. 
when they were being uh, mowed down uh, by the hundreds. I, I, I do my best to understand that, but there is, will always remain a gap because it takes one to know one. And this principle here, unless you and I accept in our own life the principle of self-sacrificing love, you cannot know God, then it concludes here in this passage, we discern the truth by becoming ourselves partakers of the divine nature. We understand God as we become more like him, and we become more like him as God changes and transforms our lives from within. Amen? You know, the best way to illustrate this principle that I have found, when we used to go home for vacation, we were in academy and in college in those early days, we'd return home, and one of the things my mother would do, and God bless her heart, she's still, still alive, and she would squeeze, uh, uh, next slide, fresh squeezed orange juice. And, you know, not many people enjoy, or some people don't like the pulp in orange juice. How many of you like pulp in your orange juice, especially when it's fresh squeezed? There's an orange juice that, that Koreans make called sak-sak. And I know the Koreans in here know what I'm talking about. It's an orange juice a beverage, maybe they make it with mandarins, but they have big little chunks of pulp in there that just make that, that juice so delightful and wonderful. As you bite into that pulp, it just bursts with flavor, and I know I'm making you thirsty for orange juice this morning. But she would squeeze, painstakingly squeeze orange juice every morning we were home, and we'd wake up to orange juice right on our bedside there. And we would drink that orange. Now, she doesn't do it to this day. I don't know if I offended her or something like that. But, but uh, and I'm just uh, joking there. But she would do that every morning. And one day we had family over, many uh, family members who came over. And she was just caught up making breakfast. And so she asked me to do it. And I remember squeezing that orange juice. And it doesn't it seem like it takes like, I don't know, like 50 oranges to make one glass of orange juice? And it wasn't until I was doing that, and it was one of those machine ones where you squeeze down and that thing starts spinning, you know, and you're like, you know, and, and it would make one finally, and, you know, you had like, I don't know, 12 more to go or whatever, and you're making that. And then the thought hit me. It wasn't until I was going through the act of squeezing each of those orange juice, the oranges, to make that orange juice, that, that the Lord brought a thought to my mind that my mom does, has been doing this every single morning for us. And it wasn't until I engaged in the work myself that I could have the capacity to appreciate that much more the love and the sacrifice of my mom. So you and I becoming like Jesus also aids and helps us in understanding who he is much better. Because we understand the sacrifice, the sweat, and the toil that it takes. And with that said, 
we don't come close to the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I. We simply don't. With that in mind, as we're talking about how getting to know God impacts our eternal salvation, but I also want to make the case that how you know God will determine how you and I will react when trials and tribulations come our way. And we're going to have many of those. If you haven't already, trials and tribulations are the lot of this side of heaven, this side of life. And I want to use the example, as I was reading through the Bible readings that the university church is engaged in, I fell upon the, the passage that, is, that has often struck me, and that was a census that was conducted by King David. And if you go to the next slide, the slide after the census of King David, First uh, Chronicles chapter 21, verses 1 through 2, now, I'm going to go ahead and, and quote here. It says here, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go and number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. See, David was concerned about his numbers. And I'm going to go through a series of quotes. Bear with me just a little bit as we try to understand a little bit of the context and the picture that is painted leading up to this event and also delving a little deeper into the event itself. One of my favorite books is the book Patriarchs, Patriarchs and Prophets. If you go to the slide where it uh, says page 746, and notice what the author here states. The history of David affords one of the most impressive testimonies ever given to the dangers that threaten the soul from power. There's three things mentioned here. Power, you know that quote well, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We don't do a very good job as, as human beings of handling power. We just don't. And you're going to see this specifically in the life of David. It's very profound what, what is said here. Power and riches and worldly honor. Those things that are most eagerly desired among men and women. Few have ever passed through an experience better adapted to prepare them for enduring such a test. So the author is here stating that very few have, have been prepared as David was with the accumulation of power and riches and worldly honor. No one was better prepared or very few are prepared as David was to handle such responsibilities and, and blessings, if you will. Notice what is said uh, going on on this page. Next slide. David's early life, and notice how he was prepared. 
It wasn't through taking tests or exams, but it was the experience of life. David's early life as a shepherd, with its lessons of humility, of patient toil, and of tender care for his flocks, the communion with nature in the solitude of the hills, the long discipline of the wilderness life, running often for his life from Saul and the countless enemies that were constantly going after David and the nation of Israel. Goes on, it says here this long discipline of his wilderness life, calling into exercise in his life courage, fortitude, patience, and faith in God. All these things had been appointed by the Lord as a preparation for the throne of Israel. This was David in his preparation to be king in the context of power, riches, and worldly honor. Notice these sad words, kind of sobering words in the next slide. David had enjoyed precious experiences of the love of God and had been richly endowed with his spirit in the history of Saul. So he had a a case example of a king before him. He had seen in his life the utter worthlessness of mere human wisdom. And yet worldly success and honor so weakened the character of David that he was repeatedly overcome by the tempter. Pretty powerful, sobering words, aren't they? That he had challenges coping with successes that you and I naturally want to accomplish in our lives. And yet when they are, were granted, even David with the long preparation that he had to face and overcome these things. She says, and yet worldly success and honor so weakened the character of David that he was repeatedly overcome by the tempter. Friends, what this tells me is how vigilant you and I need to be in our walk with God, to be so closely in tune and connected with him so that we don't get caught up in the superficialities of the things of this life. Amen? Amen. I said that I had a few things to read, reading on, and bear with me just a little bit longer. Interaction with heathen peoples led to a desire to follow their national customs and kindled ambition for worldly greatness. I'm going to say something, and it's not meant to be a political statement, but Christians and Seventh-day Adventists, we're not, we do not exist to make America the best thing since sliced bread, right? We're not here to make America great, greater than other nations. We exist to bring God's kingdom and his soon return 
even quicker by spreading the gospel message of his love and his care to a dying world. Right? So it doesn't matter if it's, if it's President Bush or President Clinton or President Obama or President Trump. We, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we do exist to become the best citizens that we can be. Amen? That is absolutely correct and true. We need to be good Americans if you're an American. Having said that, our ultimate and primary purpose for existence is to make God great again in the eyes and perceptions of this world. So it says here, and I forgot where I finished off here. Okay. Interaction with heathen peoples led to a desire to follow their national customs and kindle them ambitions for worldly greatness. As a people of Jehovah, Israel was to be honored, but as pride and self-confidence increased, the Israelites were not content with this preeminence. They cared rather for their standing among other nations. That became their primary concern, is being better than other nations, which at its root is a very human, human desire, not a sanctified desire. This next slide this spirit could not fail to invite temptation with a view, this is David here, with a view to extending his conquests among foreign nations. David determined to increase his army by requiring military service from all who were of proper age. So this is one of the primary reasons why David conducted this census to find out how many people in his nation were of age so that he could recruit them into the armed forces and that he could conquer yet more for himself and not for the sake of God. Goes on, to effect this, it became necessary to, to, to take a census of the population. Next slide. Says this. It was pride and ambition that prompted this action. The numbering of the people would show the contrast between the weakness of the kingdom when David ascended the throne and its strength and prosperity under his rule. This would tend to still further foster the already too great self-confidence of both king and people. So when David took the throne, he wanted to make a contrast. According to these words here, he wanted to make a contrast between the weakness of the kingdom that he inherited, right? And the strength and the, the, the boast of his army and the people that had that uh, had now that had grown through his years of leadership and prosperity. And I think it's very important for for all of us that even though numbers are important, by the way, who had grown, who had given the increase to the, the kingdom of Israel? It was fundamentally God and God alone, in cooperation with the, the nation of Israel, yes, but ultimately 
It was God who gave the increase. And David could not handle it. And I, I, I want to just throw this note in here, that you and I, when God gives us increase, when he gives us blessings, and he gives us that 4.0, right? And all along we're pleading to God, Lord, help me, and, and, and we're crying in tears the night before the exam. How many of you have been there studying all-nighters? I know what that's like. It's hard. I, I was also a, a bit of a procrastinator and ended up writing research papers, you know, a day or two before. And boy, I, would, I cannot do that today. But I did that back in those days. But when God does grant success, that we be very cautious not to, even in a very passive way or in a way that, that can hide our true intentions, that we don't boast of our accomplishments. That's essentially what uh, the principle that is that we are to derive from these passages. That even though it's about numbers, that you and I have no basis for boasting in those numbers. That we need to praise God so much more than we do. Amen. Next slide. I just going back to that statement that I made. That I made. Uh, this is um, a Christian author, a Christian writer, and he observes something that I found to be very interesting. He says, It is clear that Jesus point blank refused to accept the agenda of Jewish territorial and political nationalism of his own day. And he spoke out against it. And it's hard to see how he could endorse this same spirit, right? in the modern-day equivalent, in other words, today. Because if the motive and the spirit was wrong then, then it is wrong today as well. And you and I must be much more engaged in the spiritual warfare rather than the political warfare that is encroaching upon our church today when you see social media and things that are being written and tweeted about, we're too involved in the, the politics of the day, and we need to up our game when it comes to what God is truly concerned about. If you, if you move on, first, the next slide, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 9 through 10. So... A prophet goes to David, and the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. And it's very intriguing what, what he did. If you go to the next slide, three options that were on the table, and let's list all three of them. So the first one, was three years of famine, or a thousand and eighty days, excuse me, of famine, or three months of devastation by the sword of the enemy, or ninety days of devastation by sword of the enemy, or the final one, three days by the sword of who? Of the Lord. Now, 
It doesn't take rocket science to understand what is being implied here, right? So you have three years of famine. That's like dying by a million cuts, right? So it's a very long time, and the, the challenges of famine uh, are, 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 are bad, they're negative, but, but it's not something that, that would rock you to your knees, if you will, right? So three years of that, three months of devastation by sort of the enemy, or 90 days, versus 1,080 days, and three days by the sword of the Lord. Meaning that as you move down this list, the intensity and strength of the one performing the punishment, if you will, becomes greater and greater, and thus a shorter period of time. Let me ask you this question. Which of these three would you have chosen, or what type of thought process would you have undertaken to make a decision? This is a multiple choice question, right? A multiple choice question. You have A, B, or C. And if you think about it with humanly wisdom, like for example, if this was thrust on me, my knee-jerk reaction would be, well, as a king, I could probably and I'm thinking selfishly here, as a king I know that if there was a famine in the land, I know that at least I could get some food on the table, right? That, that, that there could be food and, and maybe there are some alternatives, there's something we can do humanly speaking, right? So my knee-jerk reaction might be that I might choose that three years, but thinking about choosing that three years, and I'm just thinking out loud here, Three years is a long time, right? It's a long time. The seminary, uh, to, to get a, uh, a D-min or a, an MDiv, it takes about three years, or at least it used to. College degree takes about four years. That's, that's quite a bit of time. It takes all the way into your completion of your junior year, from your freshman to your junior year, quite a bit of time. Three months or 90 days by devastation of the sword and three days by the sword of the Lord. We all know which one David chose. And what interests me is not merely the decision, but the thought process that went through his mind. If you go to the next slide, we found this in the scripture passage. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 13. You see, David was a, a faulty man, a faulty individual but he did have a relationship with his Lord. He knew God. He'd been through the thick and thin. He'd had God by his side when he slew Goliath. He'd had uh, God with him by his side as he was escaping countless days from Saul and other enemies. He knew his Savior. And on the basis of what he knew of God, he said, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. How many of you want to fall into the hand of the Lord today? 
and say, Lord, I come to you as a, as a faulty person. I see selfishness abounding in my life. I, too, am about numbers. I, too, am about those things that make me look good and great in the sight of others. I see the selfishness within that nobody else sees. And, Lord, I deserve death just like David did years ago. But my prayer is this. That you do nothing to perhaps my children, to others, for my sin. But let me just fall into your hand and save me in spite of myself. That is the prayer that you and I should be praying. It's interesting that he made a decision, that David made a decision to choose God as the one who would inflict the consequences. Of course, they were all God in a way, but this one was the direct hand of God. And out of those three choices, he ran to God. The one, the one who was going to inflict was also the one that he understood would show him mercy. Powerful, powerful. I think of my daughter, if you go to the next slide. She doesn't do this quite so much anymore. This is Olivia, my oldest one. But back in the day when I used to kind of, you know, fathers get goofy when the doors are closed and the garage is closed. We get goofy with our children sometimes. Sometimes I play like I'm some kind of monster, right, in fun. And I remember I would... Whenever I go after uh, my daughter Olivia, like, I'm going to come and get you, and I make these noises, you know, to mimic, I don't know, some, some uh, lion or a bear or something like that. And as I would go after her, you know what would happen or what my daughter, how she would respond? It's interesting that she was scared, right, because I, I made myself kind of scary, Right with my noises and my facial expressions, I made myself somewhat scary, and she would get scared. I would see it in her eyes. But Livy would always run to me instead of away from me. Always to me instead of away from me. And Laura, my wife, and I would always reflect on how interesting and how funny that really was. That at, the, at, at, at a time when she's both, that she's scared of me, she would also run to me. Because at the end of the day, she knows who her father is, right? She knows her dad. That, outs, that that exterior is only an exterior. That inside, she knows that she has a father that cares for her and would do anything for her. And that's why David ultimately ran to God on the basis of what he knew of his mercy. I want to, um, we don't have time to, to go to the passage, but if you uh, go to Luke 11, and, and don't go there now, but verses 5 through 13, if you ever have the time to, to read, 
You know, it's a story when someone comes to Jesus and asks him, how do I pray? And of course, God or Jesus, uh, he recites the Lord's Prayer. And then he shares a parable of that friend who knocks on the door at midnight. We know the story. We've read that. And this, this friend knocks on the door at midnight, and the person inside says, oh, you know, I, my children are with me. I do not feel like getting out of bed, right? And then Jesus says but be, uh, that it's because of his persistence, right? It's his, because of his persistence that ultimately led that man to open the door, right? And then he goes on and, and recites uh, a passage that you and I know very well where he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. Everyone who, who asks receives, this is verse 10. And then he makes this, he makes this statement and he makes this point by, by way of contrast between something evil and good. And notice what he says in verse 11. Speaking about prayer and when we come to the Lord and petition him for various things. Notice what Jesus said. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of you have had parents who pack your lunch on a day-to-day -day basis when you were attending school growing up? I think many of our hands would go up. How many of you have opened up your lunchbox or your, your paper bag uh, package, opened it up, and saw a black mamba waiting for you there? How many of you have had that experience? Or how many of you opened up your lunchbox and saw a rattlesnake, or a, I meant to say scorpion, staring at you with his tail up, ready to strike? I don't think that's happened to a single person in this church. And Jesus is stating here, if you and I, being evil, know how to give good things to our children, can you expect anything less from your Heavenly Father. How you and I picture God will determine how we react to God, right? As we close, I, this is the, if you want to go to the last slide, I think of um, Zacchaeus. And as we close, think about Zacchaeus. For a moment. He was about numbers, right? He was about lining his own pockets with extra funds, if you will. Tax collectors were not very popular before that, uh, for that reason. And yet the Bible says that he sought to see Jesus because he wanted to know who he was. But he had some impediments. He had some challenges, did he not? Number one, he was short. 
And also, there was a very large crowd that, that blocked his passage toward, from him to the Savior. And so what he did was what you and I should do. If there are things that are hindering our relationship with God, you and I need to sit down and think about it for just a moment and say, what can I do to get closer to Jesus? For Zacchaeus, guess what it was? It was a tree, right? And Zacchaeus climbed that tree, and that gave him the opportunity to meet Jesus and to find salvation in him. I don't know what your tree is this morning. I know that because you're here, that every one of you want to develop a closer relationship with him. Is that your prayer? Amen. Secondly, I know that it's your prayer to get better acquainted with him, to know him better. Because as we have seen, what you know of God will also determine to a great extent the success you and I have in our walk with him. So let's pray that God would help us to know him. And like Zacchaeus, think of your tree today and what that might be and what it is you might need to climb, not to appease God, but simply to find him and taste him and to see that the Lord is good, merciful, and you and I would do well to surrender our lives completely into his hands. God bless you.